If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me, please, to um, the Philippians that we've been in the process of this uh, finding joy for the journey of life. Today, our journey in this uh, book of Philippians comes to a close. It's these final verses from chapter 4, and we'll begin with verse 10. I'll actually read through verse 20. Uh, the latter verses are more of uh, personal notes that Paul is saying, say hello to this person, and these people send their regards. So it's, it's more of a just kind of a um, hello statement or tell them uh, I'm thinking of them. But what he's talking about today is how to invest in joy. People invest in all types of things. And if I had you uh, write on a piece of paper what your favorite thing to invest in, uh, I looked up some of the weird things that people invest in. I didn't know that people, some people invest in parking lot, uh, parking spaces. So if you live in New York and parking is a premium, you might buy a parking space that you don't even use, but you're going to resell it to somebody else who lives in that building who wants that parking place. So that's a weird thing to invest in. At least it was for me. Uh, vintage automobiles, I could understand that. But the trouble is, if you invest in automobiles, you probably don't want to drive them. And, and that I don't understand. So I want to drive whatever I've purchased. Uh, one of the other things you could vet, invet, uh, invest in, wine. Now, being a Baptist, that would be a bad investment. Well, maybe it would be a good one because you wouldn't drink it, right? <clears throat> yeah. Some of you are awfully quiet. Um, some people invest in toys. Some people invest in stamps. And obviously there are things like the stock market, bonds, and uh, all those things such as the digital currency that's out now. Each one, whether you're investing in that vintage automobile or Bitcoin, you have dreams of financial success for the present and the future. But one of the best investment tips I can offer to you is to invest in each other. Consider investing in each other. Let me give you the context again in Philippians, the fourth chapter. You will remember, hopefully, if you have survived this two and a half months worth of sermons that we have uh, brought to you from uh, Philippians, that Paul had planted this church somewhere in the early 50, like 52, 53 AD. This is a church that he loved dearly. And they invested in him, in his missionary journey, in, in his ministry. They, they sent financial uh, offerings to him multiple times. Now, this is approximately 10 to 12 years later in his life when this letter is written. This is somewhere around 63 AD. He is imprisoned in Rome. Uh, that's his, makes multiple references to the uh, Roman guard or the Praetorian guard that, that are with him, and the news of their faith has, has traveled amongst those men that uh, guard him. And now he is sending, and that church in Philippi has sent him an offering once again, some 10 or 12 years later. Yeah, and the man who carried it was Epaphroditus, this man that we referenced in chapter 2, who you remember, he came with this offering, this support that they would bring to Paul, and he got sick. And he got so sick he almost died. And Paul even mentions that it made him anxious. <laughs> so he's sending him back. Now that he's healthy, you go on back home, buddy, because uh, you need to be at home. And he is sending him back with this letter 
encouraging them. Last week, we talked about conflict in the church. He's, in, he's encouraging them to work together to resolve the tension that's currently going between two ladies in that congregation. Now, obviously, Epaphroditus has told him some of that, and now he's sending them back with basically, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done. In fact, he will use a word in verse 10. Uh, I think in English it is, is translated renewed. It is a Greek word that means to sprout, to grow green again, to blossom. It is a word that to me, as I think about Paul, it's as if he has planted a tree in Philippi with the gospel. And now 10 to 12 years later, they have sent an offering. They have sent him fruit from that tree, and he's tasted the sweetness of their faith. So, once again, he says, thank you for your renewed concern for me. So, let's look at this passage in this context, uh, pulling out joy is our theme, that Paul shares for us some investment wisdom and strategy for us to invest in joy. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as the Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, no one, not one church, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Think about that. He's wanting to pay back. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me, please. Our Father, this is a passage that uh, most of us have memorized, Philippians 4.13. We know that we can do all things when we're in you, when we have allowed you to abide with us. It's a passage about giving. It's a passage about reciprocity. It's a passage about how to invest our lives in one another, how to invest in faith. So today, if we find ourselves poor in the matters of faith, help that one who has some 
suffering some pain on their mind, to let it go today. For you will take upon yourself our sins and bring forgiveness to our soul. We praise you for the salvation that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And we're humbled by the power that we receive when we believe in Him that would allow us to be content no matter the circumstance. I know you've not been content with me, Lord. For many times I haven't done what you asked me to do, but yet you've always been faithful to me. Remind us of those experiences as we talk about investing in joy. This I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul says in that short passage we read, and we'll spend most of our time probably on 10 through 13, he says, I have learned the secret of being content. Crazy. That's our first point, secret to contentment, that Paul reveals a secret which the world seems to have forgotten. It's like it's undiscovered. We seek contentment in so many different things. We seek it in people. We seek it in possessions. I seek it in locations. I like to be on the beach in Hawaii. People, I want you to know that relationships with humans seldom bring total contentment. Shopping, the joy of shopping, which I, I, don't, I don't enjoy shopping. I, I, I'm a man on a mission. If I need a pair of socks, go buy a pair of socks. Unless you go to Walmart, then you find 15 other things you need, and you've spent $100 for a $2 pair of socks. I don't know what socks cost, but yeah. <clears throat> but the joy that some people receive from shopping is only for the moment. Then the credit card bill comes. Money helps at the beginning, but the joy that it brings won't last. Some of you say, well, try me. Accomplishments seldom bring contentment. I've got a wall full of plaques. In fact, guys have been in my office, there's stuff stacked on the, wall, on the corner because there's no wall space. It doesn't bring contentment. If anything, it's good fodder for a fire. Paul reveals the secret to contentment in two steps. The first one is already up there for you. Contentment is learned. It is learned. Look at verses 11 and 12. I am not saying this because I am, need, I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So, here are just a few things I would suggest to you to help you to learn how to be content. First off, avoid comparisons. There will always be someone who has more than you have or less than you have. So if you feel good because you have more than your neighbor, just look at the other neighbor who has more than you. 
There's no contentment in comparing yourself to someone else. There'll always be somebody taller, always be somebody thinner, always somebody be younger, always somebody faster, somebody stronger. There'll never be anybody better looking than you. I want you to know that. But there always is somebody who's got more of what you think you need to be content. In fact, I think it's 2 Corinthians that Paul says, be careful comparing yourself to others. So avoid comparisons. Second, reset your expectations. Now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't strive and shouldn't work for different things in your life, but don't expect wealth or expect possessions or status or position or whatever gadget is out there right now to bring contentment in your life. You will not find it in those things. How do you learn contentment? It is developing a dependence on God. And that's the third of those three things. So avoid comparisons, reset your expectations, and develop dependence. In your daily walk with Jesus, not just on Sunday, not just in your membership at First Baptist Church of Holotus, live out the faith that you claim to possess. I heard the old preacher story uh, this past week. Actually, I was, you know, look, as you've heard me say, many times I get a title and I'll start Googling and see how somebody else has looked at it or or if my title is unique. And I came across a sermon illustration that I've heard many times, so I always like to preface preacher story. Uh, But you could see it happening right here in Holotus with if if the Methodist pastor, which is uh, Jim Sweet, and the Presbyterian lady, I just... Katie, if Katie, because we've been starting having a a little ministerial license, we've actually added some folks too, so don't forget that's one of the things that happened uh, Thursday night, and he may tell him him that later on. Uh, There's a combined Thanksgiving service with the different churches here in town. But if you can imagine Katie, Jim, and Cliff getting together, Methodist, Presbyterian, and a Baptist getting together, and we all start talking about the problem we're having with bats, because there's a bat infestation running through Holotus. I'm trying to make it set up like it's a Holotus preacher story. And Katie says, you know, I have called out the elders of the church to pray over the building, and those bats will not go away. And Jim says, that's nothing. He says, I had my elders come out with shotguns, and they started shooting at the bats, and they still came back. And finally, I said, well, I did what all Baptists do. I captured them, I baptized them, and I haven't seen them since. (laughs) You want to get personal? I have been at this church, March will be seven years. I think we're two short of, two people short of 200 additions in those seven years, which is a phenomenal number, really is, in seven years. But where are they? Some of them are in the pews, so never beat up the congregation you have. <laughs> they may hit back. But we're, we're, we're all guilty of that. You join something, you say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to support it. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to be investing in it. Just like this church in Philippi said, I'm going to invest in you, Paul. And, and you never see him again. Develop a dependence on Christ and his church. He's calling us all back to worship each and every time we meet. Paul rejoices with the Philippians in verse 14. He says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. That's what we talked about last week, being yoke fellows of joy, pulling together 
for the mission of the church, pulling together when one suffers or when one is happy. It's a team effort. But as we consider contentment and how it is learned, remember this, and I did not originate this quote, but I liked it and I modified it for myself. Sadly, because this is actually a Greek philosopher, and I think if Dennis is here or he's maybe in the kitchen, I think it's a guy's name that starts with E. I'm not well-versed in Greek philosophy, but I have read it. Sadly, he said, we often ruin what we have by hunting after what we don't have. We must remember that what we have now was once something we only wished for. Those of you who are married, don't become discontent with your spouse. That one who used to make your heart leap when they came into the room, hopefully they still do that for you. So, contentment, it's hard for me to read, you're on the right one, you are, is proportional. This is the second point of this idea of learning contentment. Contentment is proportional to reliance on Christ, and that's verse 13, which is a verse that so many of us have memorized. Paul writes, I can do everything through Him who strengthens me. We started this series with the quote, joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Jesus. And I think I did put that slide in because now I did give you something that is Cliff Perry thoughts, which is crazy as it is. Contentment is found not in what you have, but in who has you. With the Christmas theme, theme, it is uh, not found in presence, but found in His presence. As one writer said, it's not the destination, it's about the journey with Jesus. Paul uses a Greek word for content that is a blending of two words. The first portion is auto, which means self, like automatic that's yeah, where we get that word from. Auto, the, the preposition or that root word is self. And he combines it with archaine or A-R-K-E-I-N, however you pronounce that, which means sufficient. And he says, I am self-sufficient, which the Greeks use that term because of their wisdom and because of their, you know, who they thought they were, the better than anybody else. They thought that they would have said, amen, I am self-sufficient because of, I, because of who I am. Paul turns it on its upside down and says, it is because of who he is, I am self-sufficient. I am self-sufficient entirely by God's workings, by his efforts, by what he is and what he means to me. This beautiful verse, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. If you memorize it in King James, it may say a little bit different. And it's funny, uh, uh, Dan and I were just... uh, Dan has been very good to load. I use an older version. It's because of the age of this Bible, of the new international version. This is the 84 edition. If you have the newer edition, instead of saying, I can do everything through him, it says, I can do all this through him. Because I think many times we read this verse and think, well, because of my relationship with God, I'm Superman or I'm Superwoman. I can, I, what Superman say? Faster than a speeding Stronger than a, he can leap single building, leap bounds with a single, yeah, you, you know, those of you who remember Superman, 
Yeah, he's something about a locomotion too, isn't he? Isn't he something about a train? Oh, stronger than a locomotive, okay. Faster than a speeding bullet, and he can leap buildings with a single bound, something like that. Yes. Well, we often think we are super people because of this verse. The verse must be connected to what you believe, God's sovereignty, God's power over your life, his relationship that you have with him is what makes Paul able to endure all that he has done and be content whether he has a lot or whether he has nothing. My dependence on him, your dependence on him, is the source of our strength, not ourselves. It is him. We can claim like those baptized bats I mentioned earlier, that we know him, yet never sing his praise, never read his word, never tell someone else about him, never be in discipleship with another, and we don't give the full measure of the tithe to him. If Norris Henley was here, he would say amen. This is a Norris Henley passage if there ever was one. He loved to talk about outgiving God because you can't. The secret to contentment is learned, and it's learned through your dependence upon him. And second and finally, as we look at this passage, compound interest of joy. I know Lou's back there going, okay, let's see what he says about this. He's the financial guru, and then I got Jay Fine in here. I got all these people who know finance, and Cliff's talking about finance today. Let me tell you, boys, my mama Worked in a bank for 35 years, I think, 36 maybe. She started when the women, when they got pregnant, had to quit. Some of you, we've lived through those years. And one of the ladies was the first one who came back, and she became like the lady who could run the place because she could process the checks back when they had to hand process them into this big machine and they canceled them out. And my mom went from the back to one side of the bank. This is a small town, you know, a town of about 6,000 people. There, although there were two banks in that town and one bank in the adjacent town. So there are three banks within a, you know, two-mile region. Uh, but mom worked on one side, you know, where you come and make your deposits and order checks or whatever. And then eventually in her latter years at the bank, she worked on the savings and loan side where you came and made payments. Anybody ever had a little book where you made a payment on? I was talking to my kids about that. Uh, one of my sons bought a new truck, and I said, there was a day that they had pull-out tabs. You know, you mailed those in. And I said, before that, at our bank, we had a little card. You go in there, and you know, she would write. I, I have a book that my mom put WP, Wanda Perry, because I paid something, and there's some interest paid. You know, you show the principal, you show the interest and the date, and her personal name, she's the one who received it. So what do I know about banking? Uh, just what my mom worked there. That's pretty much it. <laughs> but I do know there's something different about simple interest and compound interest. Simple interest is what you want when you're taking out a loan, and compound interest is what you want when you're investing your money. You want to pay simple interest on the amount you borrowed, and uh, you want compound interest that the amount you put in there gives you interest, and as that interest accrues, you get more interest. And Paul is explaining to us compound interest of joy because here's a congregation that invested in him and now he's investing back in them. And he's saying, let it roll over. Let that interest keep going and building and building. Because of the joy you've brought me, let it bring you joy. Well, even the concept of interest and investing is hard for some of us to understand. If you've not invested and you've not applied what God has given you, You'd be like 
Remember the, remember the parable that Jesus talked about, the three guys, and one guy gave him a bunch of money, and he invested it wisely. One guy just buried it. Remember that, remember that whole parable? There's a famous Chinese proverb that says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a month, get married. I thought that was a little weird. <laughs> if you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help someone. So I put the Cliff Perry spin on this. This is no longer a Chinese proverb. This is a Perryism now. If you want contentment for an hour, say a prayer. If you want contentment for the day, go to church. If you want contentment for a month, go to a revival. If you want contentment for a year, go on a mission trip. If you want contentment for a lifetime, share the joy of Jesus every day. Paul is invested in the Philippians. They have paid a return on his investment, and now he is reinvesting that dividend on them. Look at verses 17 through 20. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what might be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied. Not that I have received, now that, excuse me, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering. That's he's recalling Old Testament imagery. An acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs in according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I didn't include this movie clip, but it comes to mind. The first thing when I looked at this passage this week in preparation for this sermon, it's a movie, Pay It Forward, based on a book. And some of you have probably seen it. It's probably been out 15, 20 years. But the main character in the book and in the movie in a social studies class has been given the assignment, something to change the world. And in his little mind, if you will, or school-age mind, not small mind, but big thinking, he comes up with the idea to do a good deed, to do something good for three people with the expectation that those three people would do something good for three people themselves. And on the chalkboard, I can remember in the movie, he draws a circle, very much like what I've seen in evangelism. But he drew a circle with a line down and then three circles underneath it to where, in fact, I can do it looking at you guys like you're looking at that. So a circle, and he drew a line, three more circles. That's the three people he did something good for. Then underneath each one of those three circles, he drew three more circles. So now you have nine circles. And then on each one of those nine circles, he drew three more circles, and you can do the math. Exponentially, he says, then that the world might be changed. Do yourself a favor. Invest in the joy of Jesus in three people this week. Share with them the good news of Jesus. Share with them the joy that you have to invest if you have no joy, then reevaluate the source of your joy. Joy, as we said at the onset, is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Jesus. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our fathers, we come now to a time of invitation in this service, a time where we'll sing a song, and perhaps there's someone here who 
has never experienced the joy that I've been talking about. They've never confessed their sins unto you, not to me, but unto you. And they've never asked Christ Jesus to come into their life. Lord, in this moment, in this invitation time, I pray that they would feel the freedom to come forward from the seat where they're standing and say, I want to accept Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Or Lord, perhaps there's someone here who has sought contentment everywhere but in you. Oh, they know you. They've been like those bats. They joined. They made a confession or a profession of faith, but yet they have not lived out that faith. Let this be the day when they rededicate themselves to you. Or Father, if there's someone here who just wants to come to these steps and kneel and pray, we have people from our prayer team that will gladly come and kneel and pray right by their side, yoke fellow partners with them. Father, perhaps somebody here wants to talk about joining this church. I want to get on board with how to invest more in joy. Whatever decision, Lord, we'll give you all the credit, for it's your spirit that will move in our midst. For we ask it in Jesus' name.